Hi, everybody. Andrew Bray here, the son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hi, Mom. I always love when you say that. <laughs> Andrew, thank you. This is wonderful. Oh, man. I just, I mean, the, th- the, fun, the most fun thing, and this is probably uh, old hat to folks who've listened to your podcasts before, but this is just double duty spoiled for me. I get to I get to introduce you and um, share, be kind of the the door opening of what you get to do to the world. And also, I just get to see you and talk to you. So I'm just super, super jazzed. <laughs> I'm super jazzed, too. Some people have said to me, Andrew, it says, oh, your son has the amazing voice. I said, yes, I know. <laughs> and I love But he's also an awesome person. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about what's got you uh, jumping in your seat right now about the conversation you're about to share. Oh, well... Lainey Rowell is a, someone I've known for 20 years or more, and we just recently connected again. And I have to say it's been the most fun ever. She um, not only is an author in her new book, Evolving Learner, we our books came out the same time, so we were relaunching them again. <laughs> and she's amazing. And the other is she's also a podcast host uh, with Brianna R- Hodges and they're, it's so cute. It's called Lemonade Learning. And so they had me on their show. And one of the things they talked about is the sweet and sour of your learning and your life and whatever. And she's just darling. Oh, I love it. So folks, stay tuned and enjoy the conversation with Barbara Bray and Lainey Rowell. And, and um, if you are podcast savvy, see if you can search for the other podcast or you can hear them both at Lemonade Learning. <laughs> I have someone here I've known for a long time, but I really haven't gotten to know her till recently, really know her. Isn't that right, Lainey? I know. There, I've just been so lucky to get to know you over this past year. What an honor. Because yes, it's been a very long time, but you know, life's busy and we knew each other on social media, but now I feel like I'm really getting to know you. Such an honor. Oh, and we dance together too. Yes, I think more than once. Has it been more than once? But at least once, for sure. And there's another one coming, so just wait. wait. Well, let me just introduce you to my audience, because I just think you're amazing. And so I got to say your whole name, too, so they know this is Lainey Rowell. She's an educator, author, podcaster, and international speaker. Is that all? (laughs) Um, yeah, I do think I, you know, I, I'm a a voracious learner, so I love to constantly be learning from you and from others. And so I I try and keep busy. You're just amazing. So you're also a consultant and that's where you had, I mean, when I started looking at this, I went, your client list ranges from fortune 100 companies like Apple and Google to school districts and independent schools. I think you're even, you're doing more, you're working with Lots of different organizations, right? I do. I get to do a variety of, you know, work with nonprofits, work with county offices of ed, um, district schools. I get, it's, you know, my favorite is to get into classrooms with kids or virtually into classroom with kids. Um, that's that's my absolute favorite, working with um, other humans as much as possible, and especially the littles. I miss that now. I, I you know, you and I do a lot of the same thing. It's kind of fun and with with COVID, it's been hard because we can't actually be there. So one more, 
you have a TEDx TED Talk. Yes, I do. And I'm going to share it because it's great. We're going to put it on the blog post that goes with this. Oh, and you were, you. are you still a consultant with Orange County Department of Ed? I am. I have been for, at the, I think we're on six years now. So yeah, wow, it's, wow. it's really fun to see everything happening at all the different levels is, is really interesting to me. And the other thing that I got to be part of is your co-host of the Lemonade Learning Podcast. I love the name. <laughs> well, Brie came up with the name. Brianna Hodges, if you're listening, that was all you and you're amazing and so grateful for you. Oh, well, we're going to talk more about all of these things. And I just am so grateful that you're here with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What a, I mean, I'm just pinching myself. This is exciting. Oh, <laughs> Well, I'm just glad people get to know you, I, you know, my audience. I just think it's important that kind of when you find someone you really connect with, you want to share their story and um, you have some wonderful stories. So why don't you just, you've already done a little bit of background. Do you want to just tell us where you grew up and a little bit more about you? Sure. I grew up in San Diego, California. I did not migrate very far. I'm in Orange County, California now. Um, funny enough, I have almost no family left in San Diego. My mom's in Hawaii and my dad is in Arizona. And so, um, yeah, I I had a, an okay experience as a student in school. I wouldn't say I was a great learner or I definitely wasn't a great student. Student, if we're talking about the role of student, like, did I do everything I should have done to excel? No. Did I learn? Probably, but not in the way that um, I think my teachers would have wanted me to learn. So um, I did not go into college thinking I would be an educator at all. I actually went in as a psych major at San Diego State. I tend to get really meta and try and think about how people are thinking. And then I'm thinking about how I'm thinking. And then I'm thinking, do I think more than most people think about how I'm thinking? I don't know. Anyways, I tend to <laughs> kind of geek out on that kind of stuff. And so I just, I loved psychology. It was a great major. I ended up as part of my service hours, I ended up working in a um, non-public school for students with special needs. Mm. I just fell in love with working for, with kids uh, working for, absolutely working with kids. And so I decided to go into a teaching credential program, which was not easy from when not being a liberal studies major or liberal arts. I had to jump through quite a bit of hoops, um, but it was so worth it. And I just loved being in the classroom. I taught kindergarten, first, second, and sixth grade, and not in that order. I, I, I always tell people it was like, I would say, I'll never teach kindergarten. And then that was like the first grade that I spent time in. And then I said, well, I, but I would never teach sixth grade. And then that was the next grade that I said. And then I was like, I'm not going to say it anymore because um, I think I said, I won't teach first grade. And guess what? That's the next grade that I taught. And so. <laughs> That's a, so different elementary and secondary. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, my sixth grade, when I taught sixth grade, it was multiple subject. It wasn't, oh. it wasn't a single subject, sixth grade. So okay. unusual. I know almost sixth grade jumps into middle school and is secondary. But for me, it was, I had one student in my class. Uh, he was ginormous. And my principal came in and said, what is that man doing in your classroom? And I'm like, uh, that's a student. And, <laughs> she was, and she was like, are you serious? Yes, that is, that is a student. Yes. Well, I'm not very tall and I taught sixth grade and some of the kids were taller than me. <laughs> oh, for sure he was taller than me, yes. <laughs> it's amazing. That's so cool. So you were a teacher for a long time before you decided to move to consulting and some of the other work, right? 
Yeah. So I actually went, I had an interesting opportunity. My first grade class, I was teaching at a school that I loved. I'd actually worked really hard to get to that school. I felt like I would really thrive there. And it was another school was being opened up, being brand new, built from scratch, going to open up that was going to pull from that community because there was development and all those kids had been going to our school and now they were ready to move into their own neighborhood school that was going to be built. And I, I mean, the writing was on the wall, last in, first out, right? And so I just got into the school teaching first grade. They decided they were going to open up the new school. And so I went to the principal and said, I'd, I'd be interested in teaching second grade. And can I take my kids that would go to your school with me? And so I ended up looping half of my class and oh, starting the school cool. year with them. It was, a, it was a really interesting experience because... I mean, if you haven't opened up a school for those who are listening, it's intense. It's, a, it's an all-hands-on-deck situation for sure. And we didn't have a campus that was ready at the beginning of the school year, so we squatted on the, uh, the uh, campus that I had just finished teaching at um, in the like back quarters. We were kind of off to the side and taking up their property and felt really bad about it and wore out our welcome after about six months and finally moved up the hill to our, our new location. So Wow. Didn't you love looping? I mean, if if you haven't done it, for those who are listening, if you haven't done it, you should absolutely try to do it. And I know it's more of an elementary thing, but it was such a, I mean, there was a lot that was interesting about that, given that we were opening a new school and all that, but the connections with the kids and their families was really important to me. And there's still like on my Facebook, I'm still connected to a lot of those families, the parents and the kids. So it's really fun. Yeah, because when you have them for multiple years, you really get to know them and the families, especially now. You know, it's it's really tough because you really can't build those relationships the same online. It's it's difficult. Well, especially the way that we're being forced to do online. And so, I mean, I have a background in online teaching and it's this has been kind of a hard time for those of us with a background in online teaching pre-COVID because this isn't how we would do it. We would do a lot more asynchronous where we're having rich discussions and then be really intentional with our synchronous time. And I would I would say I actually got to know some learners better that way, the kids who or the adults that wouldn't speak up in class. But but in this situation where we're being forced in with a lot of constraints to you know, rethink things in real time. It's been very difficult and it's it's not been the ideal of online learning. And that's kind of heartbreaking for those of us that really, that's an important, um, it's an important pedagogy and it's not being, because of all sorts of constraints, just not being done the way that we would like to do it. So it's hard. I was going to go into some other questions, but I think I want to just take this and because you became a consultant like me. And so we were professional developers coming in and working with schools before COVID and long before, long, long before in teaching online learning strategies. So, you know, first, what made you become a consultant? I, I mean, maybe I should just kind of figure out where you, how that happened, I, you know, before I even get into that. You know, I'm used to being the podcast host. I'm a terrible guest. Sorry, Barbara. <laughs> What? No, no, no. no, I I'm the one that I'm jumping all around. I just my main thing is like like I tell everyone I'm talking like like we're just having coffee together. <laughs> and I love it. No, that's what I want to do for sure. Well, so I I didn't jump right to consulting from being in the classroom. I actually 
was really overwhelmed with trying to support teachers and be a full-time teacher at my site. Uh, oh. We, you know, that we had just, so we were a new school. We didn't have a lot of technology, but what we had was a brand new and a huge investment. And so they wanted to leverage it as, as best we could to, to help all learners. And I got really interested in that and I kind of became the go-to for the site. And my principal started sending me to conferences and pulling me out. And she was so amazing at just really um, building my capacity. She was so amazing. I love her. And I started to feel really torn. And I went to her and I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. It's not fair to my kids and their families. It's not fair to me, honestly. And so she's like, well, what can we do? And so we came to up with a solution that I would be, um, originally it was out of the classroom one day a week. And then it ended up in the subsequent year being two days a week. And then I ended up splitting my time with the district. And then I ended up moving into consulting. It's, none of this has been intentional. It's been more about me. I always say, I don't say no to things because I'm afraid of them. I, I say no if it's not in alignment with my values or it's not right for my family or something like that, but I don't say no because it's just scary. And so that's kind of led to all these different opportunities. And I do miss my time in the classroom, but I still get in there sometimes and it's been really fun. So I know I know you know the joys of consulting because you are. Well, I, I, I did the same thing. It's like, I didn't want to go. And then they said, well, just two days a week. Now, now <laughs> then you come down downtown and then, I mean, it's the same thing when because you don't want to let go. Yeah. And yeah. I I haven't been in the classroom for a long time. I I have been able to do coaching and consulting and then come in when the kids are there and and work with them. I've done a little bit virtually. It's just ah, oh, it's hard now. Yeah. <laughs> After you've done it all, you want to keep doing it all, right? Like you want to be in there with the kids in the classroom on the regular basis, but you also love these relationships you get to build with teachers and yes. administrators. Yes. So it's, it's, you know, until we figure out cloning um, ourselves, <laughs> it's going to be really hard. But I, I do think I have found a lot of joy in what I do now where I do still get to get in with kids. It's not as often as I would like, but I feel like I do also get a lot of joy in these adult uh, learning relationships that I get to have. So, Well, you have, you know, I've met so many people go, oh, Lainey, Lainey, you got to talk to Lainey. And I oh, said, wow. yeah, I have. And really? I just love her. Yes, it's really fun. Uh, and knowing, I mean, you, you're you doing different conferences, so I see your name and it's just wonderful. It makes me happy. And so you wrote a book. Ugh, it's yes. such a wonderful book. Do you want oh, to tell yes. the story kind of behind it? Because you told me it took some time. <laughs> so, um, so in 2014, oh my gosh, this will be longer than my whole life story. But in 2014, um, Alan November asked me to do a keynote at his conference and he asked me to do it on professional learning. And I thought that was really interesting because I had like, you know, we live professional learning, but actually talking about professional learning, that was a new thing for me. So I spent a very long time, almost a full year he gave me to prep for that. And I really was trying to think so carefully, like, well, how do I learn? And not that I have the best way, but what are the ways that seem to be the most effective for me and what are ways that I should be doing it? And so I kind of came up with this idea of framing the conversation is that I'm always learning from kids, peers, and the world. And very intentional in putting that kids first is because that's, is a classroom teacher, especially that's who I get to interact with the most. They are my people. They're the ones that I'm going to get to learn with on a regular basis. And then also, even when I'm not in the classroom, I still, that those are our customers. That's who we're here to serve. I want to be learning from them so that I'm always meeting their needs. 
So I went and I gave the keynote. It was very well received. People were very kind. Corwin happened to be at the event and they approached me about writing a book on professional learning. And all of this is mind-blowing to me because I have never considered myself an expert on professional learner. I am a practitioner of professional learning. Um, I, that's, that's, I love to learn and I love to learn with others. And so I, I, I kind of was like, yes, I want to do this, but a book felt really overwhelming to me. And I sat on it for a couple more years, kind of hemming and hawing. And then I was at a conference at the Q conference actually with Robert Craven. And I said, I, I'm not getting this done. I need co-authors to help me. And so he said, okay, well, I've got two amazing women, Christy Andre and Lauren Steinman, and you should bring them in and you all will be a magical team and it'll be great. And it still took us three years. We were not rushing. We were very intentional. Um, shout out to Corwin. Uh, Dan Alpert was amazing. There was so much source material. They really, really helped us work through this and because we're the book isn't you know we're talking about professional learning from kids peers in the world but we're not we're not making all new practices we're trying to find the best practices like what does that look like how do you use formative assessment to improve your practice how do you um, use coaching and PLCs and social media learning from the world and so I really was so fortunate to have. Christy and Lauren joined me because that is when the book really took off. It was like, I had all these ideas, but I needed to get them out. And so that was what was really helpful. So six years to... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. I actually made a graphic where it's like publication date is the title of it. And then it has a set of dates scratched out and then a later set of dates scratched out. And then a later, <laughs> it's like all these, all these dates that I thought would be when the book would make it out. And it, it didn't, it didn't, but it, and then, and then I don't know if I told you this. I think we've talked about this, Barbara. It ended up dropping March 13th of 2020. And so I, that was and a big day. So we did have a big talk about this because one, I'm a Corwin author. Yes. Two, okay. my book came out February, like the, the middle of February. And both of us got caught up because you put it out and then yours was right when everyone was locked down. It was, mine was right before. And, oh, it was just tough for authors. It's tough for everyone, really. Yeah. And it's, mm -hmm. it's it was a, honestly, there was a lot of grieving involved because obviously there's bigger things in the world happening than, you know, I, I poured my heart into that book for six years. It's, you know, Christy and Lauren gave so much, you know, and you, you have all this anticipation and then it's like something really big happens that just makes that not important at the time. And so it was very hard. It was really hard. I'm going to be honest. Well, we did talk about relaunching our books together. So <laughs> here's the beginning of it. We're doing Yay! that. Because, oh, so um, I mean, really, uh, my book is about the why. And then I come to a section in your book on the why. I mean, yes. it's all throughout it. So I feel like everything you wrote is very, you know, I, I can connect to them. Oh, well. Yeah. So I, we've never mentioned the, I haven't mentioned the name of your book yet. Oh. Can I do that? So people yes, know first, <laughs> you mentioned the authors, you mentioned everything. The title is Evolving Learner. The subtitle is Shifting from Professional Development to Professional Learning from Kids, Peers, and the World. I love it. I oh, just so love it. It's just, you, you definitely 
I mean, I've been talking for a long time about moving from professional development that sit and get. And do you know, here's the thing. As a professional developer, I still get asked to do the sit and get keynote. I still get asked to do, you know, do it even online. And I'm saying, Can, is it okay if we do some interactive pieces? <laughs> And, and so I think you'll appreciate this, Barbara, because I know you're doing the same thing as me. We're both evolving and trying to figure out how can we make the best of the constraints that we've been given. So we've all, you and I have dealt with constraints for many, many years when it comes to professional learning because we don't get all the choices, right? We get hired to come in and we do our very best to, well, is there, you know, you know, we'd really like this to be more ongoing. Is there opportunities for pre-learning? Can I send things for your team to read or listen to or watch before? And then when we get together, we've already kind of leveled up and we can keep moving. And so for me, I've really shifted a lot of practices in the last year. And I know I mentioned it earlier, my background with online learning, that had always been something very compartmentalized for me. That was just something that was off um, in this space. And then my in-person experiences were, you know, here and then over the last year, these have really come together. And then, you know, after doing all the work with the book, I've just been really, really intentional in how I can shift those practices. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about having co-authors and Christy Andre is an expert on social emotional learning. And that was something that we wanted in the book, but we never set out to make it a major theme, but yet it ended up just becoming a major theme throughout the book. So we talk about social emotional learning um, in every chapter of the book. And we have found that's really important. And so when we went into this crazy cuckoo bananas time that we're in now, I had to like bring this all together. Okay, so when I'm in person, I would do this SEL practice. How is that going to look online? And I went through this whole process of looking at Castle's three signature practices for SEL and going, okay, well, how can I make this really portable so that I can do these practices online and, and they're going to be as effective as I would do them in person. And so there's been some real, real interesting growth for me there. I'm, I'm excited about that. You know, I know there's a lot of tragedy, but there's some silver linings for sure. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. I think you know that March 26th is International SEL Day. Yes, I yeah. do. So, I mean, we'll probably not get this podcast out at that time, but the thing that you're mentioning, I was I was trying to find it in the book because I had put post-it notes there on SEL because I'm, I just did a Twitter chat on it and they're talking about it all week. And the thing is, it's something that has to be talked about all the time. Yes. Because of the mental health issues that not only um, kids, but teachers and parents and everyone, the isolation, the trauma of what's happened to families, to the impact of, you know, they're talking about learning loss, but they don't understand how there's, you really can't teach kids that are in trauma or, or mentally just not there. Yeah. I, I think that the signature practices have been, for me, really helpful in giving me a, a pl- I mean, it's literally, there is a playbook for it. And taking that, and a lot of what's in that playbook is really valuable, but a lot of it was designed for in-person. So it's been on, I've taken it as my task to go through and go, okay, how can I make those things work? Not just swap them out for online, but how can we make them really powerful online learning experiences? So I'm trying to figure out, 
what is the welcoming inclusion activity going to look like in, um, in a virtual space? How are we going to do that? What are the engaging strategies and how can we be really explicit with SEL practices in there? And then for the optimistic closure, you know, how is that going to translate to this space where we can really have this reflection and looking forward? And so I, I, I'm so much more thoughtful about these SEL practices than I was pre-COVID. And it's, it's the, the having to rethink it that has made me go much deeper in it. So Lainey, I'm trying to look because I, I see things that are in your book on that, but it, it wasn't addressed. We didn't address, you and I didn't talk about the, uh, the pandemic because we didn't know it was coming, which we probably now need to think about. There's always going to be something that is uh, going to cause a trauma, cause some problems. I'd love to work with you on some ideas on engaging activities like this because find out what teachers did. Find out how parents are doing at home. Find out from kids what, you know, what they found that is the most rewarding for them during this time. And of all ages, I just think this is a story to be told that'll be, people will look back and say, and what did you do during the pandemic? Everybody in the world is part of this. Well, and you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is how we can leverage technology to give every kid a voice. And so I think that's an important thing. I think we do, uh, I hope this doesn't come off bad, but I do think there was a lot of assumption of what was what connection was happening with our learners in person because they were in the room with us. And I think that this not being physically together has forced us to look really carefully at well, how, how are the relationships going? And can we actually be really intentional in building those? So again, we talk about it in the book, and this is one thing I mentioned earlier. As an online teacher, these you know, synchronous and asynchronous you know, text-based discussions or audio or all these different options that technology allows us to hear every voice, not just, and I'm sure you had this too, Barbara, like the three to four kids that always raise their hand. They're not the ones with necessarily the best answers. Those are the kids who are confident to share their thinking on the fly. They are not worried about it. But I might have a kid in the back who takes longer to process. I might have a kid in the front who has the best answer, or maybe they need more time to process with empathy and think through all of the possibilities before they give that really quick response. And I don't want to lose that. And so I think if we can be super intentional and how do we leverage our synchronous and our asynchronous time where we get to bring in these SEL practices and we get to empower kids and give them agency and really know what they're thinking, I think we'll be in really good shape. I think it's hard negotiating it in real time, like I've said before, but but I, I am optimistic that we've now seen such a severe and unplanned side of it, but teachers just rose to that and really brought some great strategies. And so I know, I know that they're going to want to keep some of those strategies. And I think if we're really mindful and moving forward on how do we keep the best of online, the best of face-to-face, the best of synchronous, and the best of asynchronous? I think, I think we'll be in much better shape. Teachers want, I mean, teachers are my heroes. I, I just can't believe all that they have on their plates now because they're, they're, you know, they're not only teaching or trying to teach content, which in my eyes, like right now, let's just be real. I don't want to <laughs> go there just yet. Well, yeah, we, we're focusing on the whole child and how can we yeah. really nurture kids? And, and we have to think about the priorities in nurturing these kids. I totally get that. But they don't have that background. So someone said to, um, I was talking to a principal just recently who was told that they, they don't want them to teach content the last 
six weeks. They just want him to do SEL. And he goes, how? Our, exactly. our teachers don't know how to do that. I think that we have to be really mindful of what we know and don't know and how to apply these in these, you know, if you're back face to face, what does that mean then? You might still miss that kid in the back that you've mentioned. Yeah, I think we have to be really thoughtful. And it's, and teachers are my heroes too, for sure. And I honestly, I have so much empathy, so much respect for what they've done over the last year, because I'll be honest, as an online teacher, it took me years to get some of the practices I needed to be a really effective online teacher. And I still have more to learn. I'm by no means an expert, but I will say that it took me a long time. Um, One of the things that I really feel like I had to learn over and over and over again as an online teacher is to be relentless and don't assume things. Well, if you're gonna assume, make sure it's you're assuming the positive. And so assume positive intent. And if someone's not turning something in, don't assume it's because they don't want to. There's some barrier that you need to figure out. So you're going to be relentless in finding out what you can do to help them do that. How do I help you get this turned in? Do you need a one-on-one? Do you need some more group work? What can I do to help? Do I need to call the parents, the family members? What can I do? And that relentless is really hard, especially in this year when we're all just struggling. Wow. I, I hope teachers get it that it's okay to make mistakes too. For sure. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, we're going to make so many mistakes. And the the problem is a lot of times the curriculum, you know, I had people say, but I have to still teach to the test. I want to just cry. Or I still have all these worksheets and then lesson plans and grading I have to do. And I'm thinking, this is why I've been trying to disrupt the system for 30 years, at least. I know. I love it. In a way, I think that COVID did something. It it exposed not only the inequities, it exposed that our system might need some transforming, but it's going to take a lot of work. It is. It is. I, I'm optimistic. Um, teachers are very resourceful. They are very thoughtful. I am optimistic that as we're just starting to maybe catch our breath right now, and I will say one of my favorite times of the year is the a time we're heading into right now where we have some opportunities to really try some new things because we've got this, you know, little bit of time left in the year where we already have hopefully built our relationships. We've already built that trust and that rapport. And now we can start to focus on, all right, let's, let's try this. Let's try this. I mean, I know we've been doing a lot of experimenting this year. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's like, yeah, we've, we've nailed experimenting in, in the last year, but I think this is a time to really take a breath, a collective breath, and think about, okay, but what, we've been doing a lot of stuff in the emergency crisis phase. Like, let's try and think about the long view and what would I want teaching and learning to look like in the fall? And are there any opportunities to try some of those things out now? Maybe we have a little more permission to try things right now than we would have before in the fall. So your book can help them. Some of the things that you had, I love you have this, um, who's in, you know, who's working the hardest in the classroom. I said this like 20 years ago. Yes, I know. But I love the little graphic that you, you know, this little graphic over here, which basically shows, you want to kind of just give an overview since people can't see it right now, unless they get your book. That graphic is inspired by Austin Kleon, which if you're not listeners are not familiar with him, I would encourage you to check out his work. I was introduced to him through Show Your Work. And he had this 
graphic of like, uh, he called it skinius, where it's like, we're all learning from each other, right? Like the smartest person in the room is the room. I forget whose quote that is. But, you know, in a previous model of learning or a traditional model of learning, we have the teacher in the front and the students that are in rows and they're passively consuming. And I know you and I have been talking about this. You've been talking about it even longer than I have. You're the trailblazer. We, we want to disrupt that. We do not want that. That's the teacher working the hardest, right? Mm-hmm. And I asked Alan November, I first heard him ask this. He's and, the first and, one who said who owns the learning. He was the first one to say yes, that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And so I heard him ask a group, and he was using a polling system, and it was like overwhelming. Basically, 100% of teachers said they're working harder than their kids. And so that's a problem, right? That's mm-hmm. that's almost in a way, you know, depriving. Well, that is 100% depriving kids. We want them to be as actively engaged as possible. So, so shifting to this, like in the, so the graphic on the left is a traditional teacher, the front rows of desks. And then on the right, it's kind of a mess, honestly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a web, right? It's mm-hmm. just, we can't even tell who the teacher is because... It's, it's a community of learners where we're all in their learning together. Now, I will say, because this, otherwise I'll, I'll get some hate mail, um, I do believe <laughs> there is a place for direct instruction. I am not yeah. saying there is not a place mm-hmm. for direct instruction. I simply want to be super intentional and be really thoughtful about how that happens. And I would rather do things like promote inquiry where it's not direct instruction happening first. It's how do we give kids opportunities to construct their own meaning at their own pace with their peers and things mm-hmm. like that. So I want to be really, really thoughtful in how we can shift to that community learning as much as possible. A community of inquiry is where I would like us to be. So you created, you and your uh, co-authors did this evolving learner, wait a minute, and yeah, cycle of inquiry. Yes, yes. You want to Explain a little bit about that too. It's, sure. That's on, wait a minute. I want to just tell them it's on page six. It gets you right going right away on it. So. I think it might be in there more than once too. It is. So. It's all through, it's throughout <laughs> your book. It's yes. Okay. So we learned a few things as we wrote the book and we say in the very beginning of the book, we didn't write the book because we had the answers is because we wanted the answers. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we went in there and we, we, we really felt strongly that we knew we had to learn from kids, peers in the world. But one of the biggest things, in addition to social emotional learning, another huge theme that came out of this book is we have to be continuously improving through cycles of inquiry. And we really took some time to look at a lot of really popular cycles of inquiry or continuous improvement cycles, things like that, and try to find the common language. And so we ended up coming up with that cycle. And we, I love that graphic that you're showing. I'm trying to find it on in, in my copy of the book. Page six. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because it actually is showing some other words that are aligned to other models. So, yeah. you know, we've got the... Um, the focus, learn, refine, reflect is our big learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so focus, we need to pick our focus, then we need to learn about it, then we need to refine it, then we need to reflect on it. So one thing that I have to remind myself is that cycles of inquiry are not meant to be linear. This isn't a checkoff, like, okay, here, I found my focus. Okay, now I, I learned it. Now I'm going to refine it. Now I'm going <laughs> to nah. reflect. It, it, it might be messier than that, and it might be that you pick a focus and you learn and you go, wait, uh, my focus isn't actually correct. I need to go back and, and refocus. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that you you go and you refine and you're putting it in and you're constantly going, oh, wait, that didn't work. Now I got to go back and learn about another strategy that's going to work. And so yeah. I, I think that's an important thing. Cycles of inquiry are important and it's 
you know, even Christy, one of our calls, she's like, well, cycles of learning or or cycles of inquiry are everything. And I was like, wow, that's heavy, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think I might want to use that. Okay. The other is reflecting. I really think that they reflect all the way through. Yes. And that's the piece. We don't wait till the end. That's one of the things I've been trying to look at is how does reflection support what, how we notice what we're learning at the time? And maybe that's where like you have wonder under focus. What, one of the things is they may not even, like you said, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. Maybe I don't want to focus on this. That's helped me a lot. I didn't even know. That's why I wrote Define Your Why is because I didn't understand that stories meant that much to me until I went through this whole cycle. It's very similar cycle, but you, I love your how you came up with that. That's just wonderful. This is a, everybody, you have to buy this book. I'm going to put a link to it so they get it. Evolving Learner. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, you're so kind. Well, I, I really hope, you know, when we did it, one of the things that we talked to Corwin about was that it had to be really visually engaging. We know yeah. teachers are busy. We know we're overwhelmed. And we tried to put a lot of graphics in there and make it really, you know, visually dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and a lot of people have said it's a quick and easy read, but it's still packed with a lot of stuff. So you're being yeah. very kind about the book. Well, I, so I love all, all, you have your own quotes. They're um, highlighted in black. I love that. Yeah. But you also put in um, my, one of my favorite quotes from Brene Brown. Probably, she's probably in there more than once. We're yeah. big fans. <laughs> There's so many good quotes that you you can take them deeper. You just did a wonderful job. You also have a lot of resources at the end of every chapter. And then you have thoughts and jots. So you have a place for people to actually write in the book if they want to. Um, you really did do a lot of work on it. Maybe that's why it took six years. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yes, it was, it was a lot of work. It really was. Well, yeah. and, and I, I really appreciate it. It's, as you know, I mean, this is, this is my first book, but you've poured your heart and soul into, into several books. And so um, I'm sure you, sure you, you know, all the feelings that come with trying to get it out and, and yeah. get it onto the page and then get it out to people. So I really appreciate you sharing it. Well, the thing that's nice, people are telling me, even with my book, it's not that it it's there. It doesn't mean that it it's not going to be something people aren't going to look at. They're going to look at the date and go, oh, this is old. It's not. Both right. our books, both of them will last because people are finding there's activities, there's stories, there's a lot of things in them that can help. So we'll do a relaunch party. Yay. We'll do some fun things. So That's we'll talk some more on that. So I, I want to, before we go, I do want to mention uh, Lemonade Learning Podcast. Oh, with Sweet Bree, Bree Hodges, my my co-host. Um, do you want me to tell you how that got started? Because that's, yeah. I, I, I think I probably told you, but maybe yeah. for your listeners. So, That'd be great. So after the six-year journey to go to, to get the book published and then it, it launching at the worst possible time, although I completely agree with you, our books hold up. And I really hope that when people have the space that they check definitely your book and hopefully our book too. It was really hard and I was very stressed out and I went into... I am someone who, when I am stressed or anxious, I kind of kick it into high gear and I start doing a lot of things because I can't sit in it. I can't sit in the silence. And this is not necessary. That's not meant to be a brag. There's there's a lot of uh, problems that come with that. And so when you don't turn off, that's not exactly healthy all the time. So I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working. But um, 
I, I kind of kicked it into high gear when that March 13th was the Friday that schools, at least most of the country, definitely here in California, shut down. I was a wreck. I was very worried. I mean, from every angle, I was worried. I'm worried about my families, my friends. I'm worried about um, the schools that I work with that I can't get into now. I'm, you know, canceling flights left and right. And it was just... And then what am I going to do in my own home with my own kids? And so I started posting some resources on kind of how to structure the day just to give a little bit of comfort to try and get through the day so it didn't feel like we were just in this abyss of what do we do? (laughs) This is craziness. And I posted it online. Bree and I had met one time in person before. And I posted this online and she sent me a text and she's like, "Um, what are you doing? It's amazing. And I responded, um, I think I have fooled you. Can we talk? (laughs) (laughs) We got on the phone together and I think we talked for probably at least an hour, maybe two. We just were gushing to each other about, you know, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to keep our families in sane and healthy? And how are we going to help the schools and everyone that we work with? And it was just a lot of trying to make sense of, an, you know, a, a ridiculous time. And after part of the conversation, I said, you know, I feel like we're not alone in this and maybe we should do a podcast to just kind of share out loud what our reality is and be really raw and document this, this journey. And she's like, okay, (laughs) She she had been on a lot of podcasts, but, and then she says, well, you know, if we do a podcast, I have a name for the, the podcast, we could call it lemonade learning. And I was sold. I was like, well, now I, that was just kind of an idea, but now that you have this amazing name for it, we have to do it. So we did about nine episodes where it's just the two of us. There's tears. I think it's usually or only me. Uh, I'm the one that tends to break down, but (laughs) Brie at one point said, I think this is good, but I think we should bring in some other voices. And then I was like, absolutely. And at this point, we're now into summer and people are starting to catch their breath. And so we had our first guest, Katie Novak. Uh, She's singing Beyonce within the first 90 seconds. It was a lot of fun. Mm. Oh, I love Katie. Oh, wow. I know. I I mean, we really, we really swung for the fence. She's, she's, you know, Beyonce is calling her any minute right now. It was, it was, (laughs) it was epic. And so we we ended up getting some really amazing folks to join. And of course, Barbara, we've had you on. We're about to release your episode. Very excited about that. But it, it's just been very cathartic. And I feel like Bree and I are comfortable, just like you're comfortable, Barbara, sharing and learning out loud. And that's just something that I think the pandemic gave me permission to do because I was more of a quietly doing my things, working with schools, but not really putting a lot of stuff out there. And so this has been a big shift for me. I mean, the book was this highly polished, is this highly polished product that I poured my heart and soul into for six years. So to do this shift to going to, all right, let's all jump into Zoom. Are we ready? Record. Okay, export, iMovie, bumper on the front, bumper on the back, upload. I mean, there's no real editing. And so I listen to it once to make sure that the sound doesn't pop or anything, but there's really not any editing. It's just a conversation like you and I are having today, which I love. So, oh. Well, thank you for letting me be on your show. Thank you for being here, Lainey. I just, I just adore you. And I just think this is just wonderful. Oh, you are amazing. And I don't know how you do it because I'm trying to keep up. You're on 
Twitter chats, you're podcasting, multiple books. I don't know, Barbara, I'm just trying to be like you because (laughs) you're doing it all. You're firing on all cylinders. And so you're an inspiration and I appreciate you so much. Well, on that note, since you're now making me blush, (laughs) I was supposed to make you blush. No, this is wonderful. And we'll just have to keep our conversations going. And uh, thank you. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning podcast and my conversation with Lainey Rowell about her awesome journey as a teacher, consultant, podcast co-host of the Lemonade Learning podcast, and author of Evolving Learner, and there's so much more. (laughs) There's a blog post that goes with this podcast about Lainey that is on my Rethinking Learning website, which is at barbabray.net. It would be an honor if you subscribe to my Rethinking Learning podcast. Did you know there are hundreds of podcasts where my guests and I feel like we're sitting and talking on my porch? You can join us. Every podcast has a complimentary blog post on barbabray.net that expands on the conversation with links, resources, pictures, videos, and contact information. While you're there, click on the Define Your Why tab about my book, Define Your Why, where I added guiding questions and much more. There's also a toolkit for you under the resources tab that I believe you'll find interesting. Please subscribe to my website so you receive announcements, updates, and resources. I love the stories on my site. Every story is different, unique, and an adventure. All of our stories matter. Your story matters. Now we need each other more than ever. Keep sharing your story, and please stay safe and be well.